Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. Today will be better than yesterday. That's the principle anyway that's being challenged by Major League Baseball and the Players Association, and we'll explain why in a moment. Producing from his home studio in Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. Taylor, how you doing? Excellent, Buster. Coming off a little little time in Maryland and uh, got some college football cooking up in the other half of my life. But over here, uh, a little bit of doom and gloom. We can talk about all the signings and everything. That'll be exciting. But man, this labor stuff is such a bummer. Yeah, uh, I must say now I'm like, hmm, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to, you know, make sure that I get out for a run every day over the next (laughs) weeks to come. Like, I'm going to have time to work on some other projects because last night, Major League Baseball owners voted unanimously to lock out the players. Taylor, you and I talked about, you know, should we run sound from Rob Manfred today? Should we read the statements from the Players Association? I'm kind of at the point. I don't think anybody necessarily wants to hear that. No, I don't care. It's all political mush mouth blaming the other side. Like everyone's to blame for all this. I don't want to hear from anyone until we have a resolution or we're trending that way, at least. Yeah, the the collective bargaining agreement expired last night at 11.59. And so we have a labor stoppage. We'll be talking with Jeff Passan about that. We'll be talking with Paul Ambikides about that and Tim Perkchin. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Let's talk about some of the deals that went down before we got the labor stoppage last night. Since the start of the offseason, approximately $2.5 billion spent on free agents and contract extensions. The last of many deals that went down before we had the shutdown last night, Marcus Stroman, three-year, $71 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. The Boston Red Sox surprised the baseball world by trading Hunter Renfro to the uh, Milwaukee Brewers for Jackie Bradley Jr. Had a really bad year last year, as well as two prospects. Veteran lefty Rich Hill, friend of the show, joined the Red Sox on a one-year deal. The Minnesota Twins signed right-hander Dylan Bundy to a one-year $5 million contract. Chris Taylor is set to return to the Los Angeles Dodgers. He got four years and $60 million, a deal very similar to what Ben Zobris got with the Chicago Cubs uh, after the 2015 season. Mark Melanson in the Diamondbacks agreed to a two-year contract uh, worth about $14 million. Before we get into the signings, before all those signings yesterday, baseball tonight is fueled by Gatorade. Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Some of the deals that happened uh, earlier in this offseason, the Tigers, Navier Baez, agreed to a $140 million contract over six years. Corey Seager got 10 years and $325 million from the Texas Rangers. The Rangers also signed Marcus Simeon to a $175 million deal. The Mets and Max Scherzer agreed to a three-year, $130 million contract. The Mets also added Starling Marte uh, and infielder Eduardo Escobar. Robbie Ray and the Mariners finalized a five-year, $115 million deal. Kevin Gossman signed with the Toronto Blue Jays, five years and $110 million. The Twins and outfielder Byron Buxton agreed to a seven-year, $100 million extension, which also contains some escalators, depending on how Buxton does. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, a couple things. First of all, watch NBA Today weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN. And you can also listen to NBA Today wherever you get your podcast. We put it in a podcast format, which is lovely for people who uh, who aren't glued to their television at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Also, listen to Bald Men on Campus. And finally, listen to Swagoo and Perk with Kendrick Perkins and Marcus Spears. Swagoo, ESPN's newest podcast. We've been getting a lot of great feedback on that one. You can listen to their uh, their podcast podcast new episodes every tuesday you can also watch it on youtube as well that's swagoo and perk listen to that show wherever you're listening to this podcast right now for the ones who get it done granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer call 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jeff Passing covers baseball for ESPN. He's down in Texas. In fact, as we talk to you, Jeff, you're driving over to Rob Manfred's press conference, yes? Uh, driving would be a little inaccurate. That's, uh, unsafe to drive and zoom, uh, and podcast at the same time. So I am sitting in the back of an Uber right now. Very nice. Well, I appreciate you joining us. What, uh, you know, t- tell me how you're feeling today, uh, about this whole situation go from, uh, 30,000 feet. Um, it, it's mixed feelings. Uh, it's, it's frustrating as a baseball fan that, uh, when, when you see a game that is as wonderful as baseball is and that we all love as much as we do, that uh, fighting over money uh, essentially runs the risk of, of not just shutting it down in the short term, but having extremely bad long term implications, particularly if they can't figure this thing out. And uh, the sides have really shown no ability to to make a deal of any sort, really, at this point. So there's frustration in that. But I'm also heartened by the fact that there's time. and that to me is is what we need to keep in mind at this point. I'm not trying to see the world through rose-colored glasses exactly, but I am acknowledging the fact that we got a couple months here for them to to figure out what actually matters to both sides, to understand that, and to get to a point where they can make a deal because they are nowhere close to that right now. Yeah, and I'm sure you have uh, had the same question on radio and television that I have, which is to define what the fight is over. And you try to build that into a 25 second soundbite. Uh, <laughs> for you, what would that be? Uh, I can do it in one second. Uh, money. Uh, but but to, I mean, to, to get deeper into things, this is not something, Buster, that's cropped up overnight. I mean, I... Uh, you know, an old editor of mine, Marcus Vandenberg, who works for us now at ESPN on the NBA side. When I was working at Yahoo, uh, it was five years ago today, uh, I wrote a reaction piece to the recently signed collective bargaining agreement. And it said, this is all just a work up or just a walk up to an impending labor war in 2021. Now, I am not Karnak the Magnificent. I am no soothsayer. Um, but the fact that I could see this coming five years ago, Buster means a lot of other people in the industry could see it coming too. And so these issues are, are not new. They're, they're as old as the union and as management itself and fighting over money is what they have always done. Fighting over money is what they are always going to do. And fighting over money, frankly, it is an understandable thing to fight over when you, as the workers Uh, as the union does right now, see Major League Baseball's uh, revenues going up year after year and your salaries are flat, you're wondering what kind of a partnership is this? Where where do our employers view us in the grand scheme of this game that, frankly, is us? And and that's something I, I think people can't get lost in here. The players are the game. The players always will be the game. The teams are laundry. And and I love the fact that that laundry is there for fans to root for because players go here and there. But we know, we saw back in the time of replacement players, baseball is just not the same without the best in the world out there. And uh, if there is any leverage point that the players have, if there's anything to give away, it's just their services and that's it. And I think Major League Baseball owners understand that as much as they want to to squeeze the players, 
there comes a point at which you reach diminishing returns. And if you start losing games, Buster, that is that point. Yeah, I heard a lot of the same voices you did back in 2016, uh, where right away people are looking at the terms that came out that night in that 2016 labor agreement. They're like, oh, my God, this is a complete disaster. And since that time, we've seen the players uh, share the pie uh, be diminished dramatically. We're going to have Paul Ambikides coming up to, uh, talking about the middle class of the players and how they've taken a big yep. hit. But in each situation, you know, labor stoppages, and I, you know, was around 1990, covered 94, 95, you know, the close yep. to a, the shutdown, it felt like in 2002. Um, and, and the context is always a little bit different. What I feel like is different about this is the working relationship between the two sides is the worst that I've ever seen. Uh, you were on the ground there in in, uh, in Texas. Give me some indications you've seen of the horrifically bad working relationship between these two sides right now. Well, I mean, I didn't see anyone walking around like flashing middle fingers at somebody else. But the, <laughs> I, I think that I, I think the best illustration of this was how things ended yesterday. So uh, let, let me just try and give some context here. And thankfully, I don't have to do it in 25 seconds. Major League Baseball essentially wanted to have some conditional bargaining toward the end. Um, They wanted the Players Association to take away a few demands before MLB would go and give their, you know, their latest proposal. Um, Among them were... Uh, a change to service time rules. Like uh, Major League Baseball, a red line for them is six years of service. So they were saying, this is important to us. Just the same way we wouldn't go to you and say, hey, we're going to put a salary cap on the table and we're going to keep putting it on the table because they know a salary cap is a non-starter. Well, I think Major League Baseball yesterday you know, showed its cards a little bit. Six years of service time non-starter for us. The the service time manipulation uh, suggestions that the union had, non-starter. Messing around with revenue sharing, non-starter. And, and the union did not like this. They're like, well, you know, wh- why are you telling us what we have to take away? I mean, every deal, every iteration of a deal is going to be different. Maybe something that's in one is not in another based on another lever that we pull. So that that got things off to a bad start there because the two sides disagreed on what the intentions of what MLB was asking for was. And in the end, the union walked into the room. They said, we will not agree to these conditions where we take these things off the table. Major League Baseball said, okay, then we have nothing to talk about. And seven minutes later, the labor negotiations were over. Yeah, it's bad enough that last night I got a uh, text message from an agent basically saying that he, he's talked to his players, his clients, and he has uh, indicated to them last night, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Easter, I'll see you on Flag Day, which is on June 14th. Um, you know, who knows how it'll play out exactly. Uh, look, I covered the, the 94-95 players strike, um, and, and what I remember about that was uh, the 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 side that felt more disparate at that point were the owners. Uh, the players were in lockstep. There was a famous meeting in which some players began to speak out a little bit, and they basically were told to shut up in in the room. Uh, and the players were so unified in that spot. And I'm, you know, just as as someone who's on the outside looking in, I'm I'm going to be fascinated by this whole situation playing out. Uh, you know, baseball's first labor stoppage since uh, the advent of social media. And what the yeah. impact of that is going to be. What do you think? I think that the, I'm not going to say that the most important thing to, and, and let me, uh, I, I'm not trying to both sides this, Buster, but I think this point actually does apply to both sides. I think message discipline is going to be a very important part of this entire process because right now, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're fighting for the, the hearts and minds of fans necessarily, but the, the reality is fans hate this. Nobody looks at a labor stoppage as a positive thing, except people on extreme ends of the spectrum who are either uh, totally in the tank for the Players Association or totally in the tank for the league. So you've got a bunch of people in the middle, and 
I, I think there's going to be a fight between the sides, not just to get a labor deal done, but to, to have blame on the other side. And, and we saw, listen, we saw the power of the players messaging last summer yep. when for a short period of time, when they all got together and said when and where, and, and that was, you know, it was a really good message actually. And, and then Rob Manfred came back and said, uh, here and how much? And, and the players were like, yeah, when and where, except for what you're offering. So, you know, the, the discipline there needs to be consistent. It needs to be clear. And, and when you've got 1,200 guys, it's a lot more difficult to keep them in lockstep than it is 30 billionaires. Yep. A hundred percent because everybody and I think now in this uh, this generation of players, they're going to be feel accustomed to I you know what? I can put my opinion out there. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the players in 94, 95 would not have wanted that. <laughs> no, it's it's and listen, it's it's totally different. Um, but I also think that it can be, frankly, advantageous for the players, too, yep. if they do it the right way. You have this this form of of reaching directly out to people that is extremely compelling if done well we've seen social media change the world right and and the fact that you have these celebrities and that's what players are they're celebrities uh, they, they are much greater celebrities than rob manfred or than any owner or than anybody on the mlb side you have these celebrities who can shape a message if they want to. And and if played correctly, I think it can really work in the favor of the players. Okay. Give me what your read is on the soft underbelly of each side. And I'll, you know, give you a moment to think about that. I'll give you my two soft underbellies. Uh, one on the owner's side, all these concerns about these regional sports networks. Yeah. I um, and the amount of money buster. that potentially they lose in the, t- you know, the, in the delay, of course, to, you know, if there's no labor agreement, that means they can't sell tickets for 2022 effectively. And on the player side, I feel like time. I was on uh, Sports Nation this morning and I, I said, look, uh, the longer this goes on, potentially the more vulnerable the players are. Let's say if we go into midseason and next year, much in the same way that if you're in a neighborhood poker game uh, and you've got a pile of $20 of chips in front of you and your neighbor's got $1,000 then you're probably going to be in trouble. <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of the dynamic here. That's my read on it. What about you? Yeah, I, I think for players, it's a question of leverage. Just how much do they have? And I understand that you in labor negotiations, what you have to give away is not necessarily the most important thing. It's almost like how much are you willing to lose? But the players don't have a whole lot to give away. I mean, in their last proposal, uh, they, they were giving away expanded playoffs and patches. Like they're, they're not giving away a, a ton here, certainly not commensurate to what they're asking for, though. Of course, they're going to come off of their ask at some point. Um, I, I think with the owners, uh, you stole my answer with the RSNs because that's, that is the correct answer. Um, but I, I think when it comes down to it, the owners need to stick together just like the players do. And the fact that you've got the New York Mets going out there ready to smash through the luxury tax threshold, and you've got the Baltimore Orioles who are barely scraping by at $40 million on their payroll, keeping together such a disparate class uh, of, of people where you, you have some teams making or some teams rather spending you know, five, six, seven, eight times other teams. And, and the, the notion of competitive integrity throughout all that, it's a hard argument for ownership side to make. And, and I think uh, remaining united there uh, is going to be the most difficult thing. I think the one sure thing, uh, you know, besides the fact that, you know, of having angry fans in this whole thing, and I, you know, got Paul and Bikini's coming yep. up, we're going to talk about the impact of the middle class. There's no question that that's the group of players who are going to pay for this. Um, you know, on the, the the owners will come back and basically take it out on the middle class again, as they have yeah. in recent years. What do you think, Buster? I, I am I am extremely fascinated to see what the post uh, lockout market looks like. Um, I, I I will I will be completely honest here. The pre lockout market 
It surprised me. It didn't surprise me as much after the GM meetings when the sense was that a lot of guys were going to be signing, but some of the contracts, I mean, these were, these were big contracts. I, I thought that, uh, that players did generally speaking very well in the early part of free agency and major league baseball is going around uh, as a whole and splashing $1.7 billion in the pot. Uh, without Carlos Correa signing and without Freddie Freeman signing. I mean, this is going to be financially the most lucrative offseason we've ever seen. But here's my real question. What's it going to look like afterward? How much exactly are our teams going to go out and spend? And are the ones who went early going to be the ones who who are fortunate or they feel like they they missed out on the boat? Yeah. Oh boy. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, I know you got a full day ahead of you. Good luck. Buster, that's really the perfect way to end it. Can you just say it one more time? Oh Uh, boy. Oh boy. (laughs) We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikid. He's a researcher for ESPN. He's a honcho on the show, Get Up, and he is a huge baseball fan. So, Hembo, I, you know, my first question to you today is how are you feeling about things as a baseball fan? Uh, not so well, Buster. I think most of us who follow these things at all closely knew this was coming. I mean, you've been telling me for literally years that this winter was going to be something of an inflection point for what has been just a decreasingly uh, worse and worse relationship between the union and between the commissioner's office and I, and between the owner, excuse me. And I think that's sort of where we stand today. It's, it's fairly obvious that we were going to get here. And now that we are, it's not much of a surprise. That doesn't make me feel much better about what the future holds. Although I will say if there's a silver lining at all, a sliver of hope, if you will, it's that over the last few weeks, there's been nearly $2 billion spent in free agency. So in some sense, like viewing all of these economic issues around baseball, sort of, <laughs> at least recently for me, has taken a backseat to all that excitement. And perhaps that should make me feel reasonably good that whenever it is indeed that, you know, we agree to a new CBA, whether it's soon or whether it's not soon, baseball should be in a, in a good place financially. And hopefully within some you know degree of reason, both sides are happy with where they landed. Yeah. I think it just depends on how much bleeding happens here as we we move forward i like uh look you you know i'm doing radio uh everyone now who's sort of checking in on this conversation is asking trying to okay what's at the heart of this and why Mm -hmm. are we here where we are 
uh, you know, and, and hoping for the the 22nd answer to define exactly what the issue is. And I think it comes down to this, the, you know, in 2016, the players uh, made a bad labor agreement with the owners. They lost a lot of financial ground and now they're trying to take it back. That's what it comes down to. Uh, and the group that's felt the most of that are the middle class of the uh, Major League Baseball Player Association veterans. And they've lost a lot of ground. They're the ones who've taken the hit. And quite frankly, whenever the, this uh, you know labor situation settles, I think they're going to take the hit again, as you and I have talked about. I agree with that. I have some friends who are very casual fans of baseball who were texting me saying, like, what is all the fuss about as they're watching these nine-figure contracts be signed? And what I've told them is something that you told me years ago, and it's that those aren't the players affected by the last CBA. It is the middle class in baseball busters. So we went on a little project together, and I'll reveal my findings. What we did was we eliminated the top 10 free agent contracts in each offseason to sort of remove the cream of the crop. And then we eliminated all non-major league deals and deals below a million dollars to sort of create a middle class and buster. Last offseason, the average free agent contract for the baseball's middle class, $6.2 million. Fast forward, uh, excuse me, rewind all the way back to 2014, $11.8 million. And the, and the sequencing between is as linear as it gets. The middle class free agent received a contract nearly 50% lower in total than it did in 2014. And it's not just because, Buster, that, that kind of player is not producing. It's because the owners are sort of lining their pockets in a different way. Here's what I mean. So if you look at the middle class of players last year, of which there were 78, 78 middle-class players as we define them, they produced about 78 wins above replacement, about one war per player. Going back to the beginning of this exercise again in 2014, 60 players produced about 31.6 war in the season after signing those contracts. In other words, if you add up, in other words, this phylum of player, this kind of player is more than twice as valuable now as they were seven years ago. And so what Major League Baseball, the owners and front offices, have done a brilliant job of doing is identifying value. The middle-class player is a player, a place where we can get value and also not pay them. So look, the Max Scherzer of the world, who just signed a 130-year deal uh, contract over three years, he's not affected by this. But in every, now in every offseason, sequentially over the last six or seven, there's a big glut of players, usually between about 60 and 80 players, that aren't making nearly as much money as they think they should. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to be curious to see how this turns out to see if those guys, you know, wind up getting some of their value restored. Uh, we'll mm. uh, just have to wait and see how long it actually does last. Um, we're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin coming up about some of the signings that have taken place. We're going to suspend reality, uh, and, uh, make it, uh, seem like we know for <laughs> sure that that's all going to matter. Uh, to this point, what's your favorite free agent signing? My favorite free agent signing is Eduardo Rodriguez. Buster. Yeah. We texted we texted about him a few weeks ago, and especially in seeing some of the new uh, contracts that have been given out to starting pitchers over the last few days. I think it's an, ex uh, an exceptional bargain considering those circumstances. StatCast really says that his results are a lot better than his superficial numbers might indicate. Last year, as you know, he allowed a batting average on balls in play of about 360, pitching in front of the worst defense in baseball. The Tigers' defense is a lot better than that. And in last season, Buster, he posted the highest strikeout rate and the lowest walk rate of his career. And this is a pitcher for whom you don't have to really dig too deep in order to sort of see the potential. He definitely flashed ace stuff in the playoffs and has that sort of big, durable frame. And his you know results really aren't dependent upon overpowering stuff. To me, he predicted as a number two starter throughout the life of that contract, and they paid him a good bit less than that. So I really like the Eduardo Rodriguez signing for the Detroit Tigers. What's your least favorite free agent signing? And I have a guess as to what this is going to be. <laughs> I'm sticking with the Tigers, Buster. I'm going with Javier Baez. Is that yep. what you thought I would say? I okay. knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> listen, 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 man. You know, like, you know I, I will die on this hill. The most important skill a position player has as he ages is the ability to control the strike zone. I will always believe that. And for his career buster, Javier Baez has struck out 953 times and walked 156. His chase rate's 42% and his swing and miss rate is 36%. And for context, those are you know year over year among the worst figures of that kind in baseball. And I've heard some people argue that we should look at this 370 on base percentage that he had in 47 games with the Mets and say, that's the new Javi Baez. And I would say, it is most definitely not. There is a body of work here 
that says Javi Baez controls the strike zone about as badly as any player in baseball. And fans of his will kick back and naturally say he does everything else well. And he sure does. But Buster, the, the everything else well that he does, all of those things are things that decline with age. He has this you know, big, complicated swing, uh, reliant on premium bat speed that's going to go. His ability to run the bases and, you know, play multiple positions so well is reliant upon his quickness and upon his speed. That's going to go. If I'm going to give a player a six-year contract that's going to last through his mid-30s, I have to know for sure that he's going to hit. And I don't know for sure that Javi Baez is going to hit. What you just said is what I hear from a lot of executives, and they frame it this way. And I framed it to my my uh, son, you know, at 17 years old, and I explained to him, he asked me about the contract. And I said, well, here's the question I get asked all the time, a rhetorical question from baseball executives. What's the best place to hit Javier Baez in your lineup, right? And yeah. Jake said the same thing that all these executives are saying, which is six or seventh. Because he doesn't have a high on base percentage to hit uh, you know, enough at the top of the lineup. He's not consistent enough to hit third. There's too much swing and miss for him, in theory, to hit fourth or fifth. And so sixth, that would be the place. And as a lot of executives said to me, you're not going to pay a sixth-place hitter $23 million a year or $24 million a year. <laughs> I totally agree. I got into an argument uh, with Greedy over this late in the summer when he was hitting for the Mets. And what I said was, the mo- like, throw- throwing everything aside, the single most important thing as a hitter is the, is the answer to the following question. How often do you get out? And in the case of Javier Baez, the answer is much too often to warrant a six-year, $140 million contract, regardless of anything else that you do. If I'm a Tigers fan, I'm hoping that he rakes for the next two years and convinces himself <laughs> he's worth a bigger contract then. And so I can skate out you know, the back end of those four years because – uh, in my judgment, that could be an albatross of a contract by the time it's done. All right, Hemo. At this point, I'm hoping that any contract is an albatross of a contract because <laughs> that would mean they'd be playing. Uh, All right, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Later, man. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkchin covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, uh, how about you and I suspend some reality here? Well, it's a good time to do it on 90 minutes sleep because I'm not I'm not sure I understand what's going on anyway. So it's a good time to suspend reality. Yeah. So you and I did uh, uh, a baseball tonight last night around the deadline of the uh, Major League Baseball owners locking out the players. Um, you know, we went into the show intending to talk more about moves, but obviously we wound up talking a lot about labor. I kind of want to set that aside uh, for you and I, uh, and I kind of want to pretend a little bit. Let's imagine that this all works out. And maybe it will. You know, who knows? Maybe cooler heads will prevail. Maybe the owners will step up and make a deal. Maybe the players will step up and make a deal. Um, let's talk about some things that have already happened. And that, of course, has to start with the Mets, uh, who signed Max Scherzer. They signed Eduardo Escobar. Uh, they make a deal for Starling Marte, Mark Canna, they sign Steve Cohen, you know, as you know, when he was approved as owner of the Mets, uh, <laughs> you know, a conversation among the other owners was, is this guy going to come in and just throw his money around? Timmy did that. Right. And he got what they needed. They needed another starting pitcher and they got the best one on the market, Max Scherzer, for 43 million bucks a year. But with Jacob deGrom's uncertain health and Marcus Stroman gone and other guys gone, they had to go get a starting pitcher, and man, do they pay for it. They had to get a center fielder, and Starling Marte was great last year. And if he runs like he did you know, in Miami and in Oakland, he's going to be a great player for the Mets. The Mets needed a third baseman. Eduardo Escobar had a pretty darn good year before he got traded to the Brewers. Wasn't real great there. So they they accomplished a lot of really important things, things that they absolutely had to do. And Mark Canna is a very underrated player. He can play center field. He can play the corners. He gets on base. He's a great clubhouse guy. So they did exceptionally well, the Mets. And uh, one of my Met friends sent me something today. Wouldn't it, isn't this terrible? We might not play next year. We finally won an offseason. Tell me if you disagree with me about any of this, because I've thought about this is a kind of a weird combination of thoughts that you're not going to see uh, very often when you're covering professional sports. I, I think the Mets took on enormous risks with these deals. Uh, they paid at the top of the market at each one of these. 
And in every case, in terms of Steve Cohn doing what's best for the Mets and doing what's best for the fan, fan base, I think he was exactly right because all it is is money, Tim. <laughs> yeah, and we all know he has that. You know, we talk all the time that maybe his only downside is he's too much of a fan, but it's really good deep down inside that he loves the team and wants to win for the fans. And he did everything needed, no matter how much it cost. Yeah, Max Scherzer right now slated to make more in 2022 than the Orioles, the Pirates, or the Guardians. Entire roster. That's how much uh, money Max Scherzer's making. Okay, let's talk about the Texas Rangers. In two days, they committed more money in salary than they had the previous four seasons combined. What about the Rangers adding Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager? Well, they might now have the best middle infield in baseball. Marcus Simeon had a tremendous year, and that's two out of the last three. He's been a great player, a tremendous clubhouse guy, and remarkable at how well he moved to second base last year when that is not an easy transition. Corey Seager is still a terrific player. But let's keep in mind, you know, that the, the Rangers won 60 games last year. They got outscored by 190 runs. And I had a talent evaluator tell me that other than Adolis Garcia, they really don't have an everyday player on their team that can play on a maybe even an above 500 team. That's how he described the Rangers offense, how short they were on position players. Well, they added two really good ones. Guys who are going to be there for a long time. They're going to stabilize them defensively and offensively and adding John Gray to that rotation. You know, now they have to address their pitching, but for the Rangers, a tremendous first move. And if they can go from 60 wins to 75 with those three additions and others, that's a pretty big jump. Tim, I like what the Angels are trying to do this winter, and that is to thread a needle on one hand, upgrade the pitching staff. You know, that's entirely their focus. And at the same time, not necessarily get locked into huge long-term contracts because at some point they're going to have to pay Shohei Otani. What do you think of the Angels? Well, I like what they've tried to do here. They got their closer back, uh, Raciel Iglesias, which I think they had to do. They added Noah Syndergaard. We don't know what he's going to be like given his health. But he's certainly worth a try at $21 million for one year. Um, I think they have a chance to, to get better. Um, I still don't think they're that far away. If Otani has that year, Trout comes back and is the best player in baseball, um, Rendon comes back and is 100% healthy, I, I think this team has a chance to be much better than last year. But they have to add another starting pitcher and maybe two, because what they've added so far just isn't enough. The Seattle Mariners and Toronto Blue Jays, to me, very interesting offseasons. The Mariners signed Robbie Ray, uh, American League Cy Young Award winner. The Blue Jays signed Kevin Gossman away from the San Francisco Giants. Gossman had a big step forward last year. I know the Giants didn't pers- uh, didn't make a strong attempt to keep him, in part because they were concerned about his second half. Give me some thoughts on Mariners and Blue Jays. Well, I like where the Mariners finished last year. As we know, they almost made the playoffs. They've done some interesting things. And starting with Robbie Ray, I mean, he has to be, if they're going to make the playoffs, Robbie Ray has to be something close to the Cy Young winner that he was in 2021. So just that move alone, uh, I think, gives them um, some real versatility in that rotation. And Adam Frazier gives them another offensive player at second base, which they needed also. I could see them making the next step next year and making the playoffs with the moves that they made. As for the Blue Jays, I mean, those are those are big losses. You lose the Cy Young winner like that. You lose Marcus Simeon. Those are big losses. But they filled in with some interesting people. They have that great young base coming back. And I still like where the Blue Jays are. I could see them being a playoff team next year also if, of course, there are seven playoff teams instead of five. I had a conversation with a baseball executive yesterday in which I said, you know, a team that I kind of like what they're doing, the Marlins. Uh, They go out and trade for Joey Wendell. Uh, They trade for Jacob Stallings to be their catcher, uh, you know, to help that young pitching staff. They sign Abisail Garcia. You can make an argument that maybe they paid above market for him. But you know what, Tim? They have uh, potentially a great rotation. They got a little bit better on defense and they got a little bit better on offense. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think they got more than a little better on defense. Joey Wendell is a well above average defensive third baseman or wherever you put him. Jacob Stallings won a gold glove. And obviously Garcia is a pretty darn good right fielder. And he was arguably the best offensive player on the Brewers last year, even though the Brewers didn't hit much in the postseason. Plus, with that young rotation, and they signed Sandy Alcantara long term. I really like what the Marlins did also. I'm not suggesting they're better than the Mets or the Braves or maybe even the Phillies, but they needed some significant work done with that team after last year, and they got it done. All right. Uh, Some teams that are relatively inactive, you know, when you compare it to market size, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Giants, and I'm not saying, you know, these are the reasons, uh, you know, that this is justified but I, I do think that, and I know this from conversations with executives, that part of the thinking of those teams who have all flirted with the uh, competitive balance tax thresholds in recent years and sometimes moved up and over it and sometimes gone below it, uh, is that they want to know what the rules of the next CBA are actually are going to be. It's pretty clear Steve Cohen just plowed through and he's like, you know what, I'm going to spend this money. I'm going to have a huge payroll. And if there are taxes, that's fine. I'll deal with that. Whereas I think from what I understand, some of the other teams are like, you know what, we, we want to know what the rules are. And Tim, as I talked about with Paul and Bikitis, if you're a team that has some financial flexibility after this labor stoppage is over, you could potentially do some damage because it's going to be a scramble with a lot of the middle class players taking big hits and salaries. Um, so I, I don't know if it was the right thing for the Yankees to do. They need a shortstop. But that's, I think, the justification in part for what they're thinking. Yeah, and I certainly understand that. Now, I think if you're a Yankee fan, you want your shortstop wrapped up before you get to December the 1st, and that did not happen. But I'm with you on this, Buster. Those are payroll flexibility teams, those big market clubs that can do pretty much whatever they want when this market open opens back up again, which again, we're not sure when that's going to be. Dodgers can pretty much do whatever they want because of their money, but they still have a very good team. The Yankees have some work to do. I fully expect them to do it once they understand what the rules are and they cannot get out of this post this off season without getting a premier shortstop one way or another. And the Red Sox didn't do much. I'm still not sure. I understand the Hunter Renfro move. I, he was a, an excellent defense player last year who had a pretty darn good offensive season also but again they're they have the flexibility to say we can wait where others couldn't so i'm not going to let you get completely unscathed from the labor situation i got one question for you uh because you have like i have uh the perspective of time having covered multiple labor situations and leadership groups on both sides um my belief is is that the working relationship between the two sides is the worst that I've ever seen. Uh, The lack of collaboration, the lack of the dialogue. uh, That's my uh, perception. What about you? Well, I covered the 81 strike buster. And again, I was like 12 years old. I didn't know what I was doing, but that was the angriest I've ever seen men going at each other when it comes to baseball. I mean, Ray Greeby against Marvin Miller, that was just ridiculous. 94, 95 wasn't very good either, but so I'm not going to put this ahead of those, but the disconnect is obvious, Buster. And this is the problem. Those other years, we had really seasoned people in place making these deals on both sides. And I wonder about are the people in place right now really truly capable of making a deal like we saw in 81 and 94, 95, like we eventually did? That's what worries me. It worries me. We got to December 1st and we're not even close. Sometimes you get close and you say, all right, we're going to need a couple more weeks to do this, or we need a month to wrap this up. I don't see this being wrapped up in two months. I just don't see that the real hate and anger I've seen before, but there is a, enormous disconnect between these two sides. Enormous. All right, Tim. Uh, Let's hope the cooler heads prevail, as they say. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Buster. Take care. Bleacher Tweets.
Already Buster, an absolutely stacked edition of Bleacher Tweets with all the transactions, all the labor talk. First up, we have Nolan Scad at Nolan Scad writes in, do you see the players union pushing back against the universal DH and CBA talks? No, Nolan, I, I think that uh, if in fact there's an agreement at some point that the universal DH will definitely be part of that. That is way down the list in terms of, uh, you know, crucial issues. And I think everybody assumes that when, uh, when they do have the next CBA, which hopefully will be <laughs> signed for like five years, that uh, you will have a DH in the National League. Let's go to David at Baseball Fan 1918. David writes in, hey, Buster, I love all the pre-lockout spending, but do you see it creating issues among the owners when it comes to the labor talks, the have-nots pushing for more taxes for going over and the haves pushing for a floor so the have-nots spend money? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. It's always been a dynamic on the owner's side, small market teams versus big market teams. It's, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, there should be a, you know, a salary cap. Everyone spend the exact same amount of money. That's just not going to happen because when baseball started its financial structure, you know, basically back in, in, uh, in 1900, um, that horse went out the barn door and the big market teams are not going to you know, lift the small market teams to their level is always going to be that dynamic on their side. Shout out to the leaf blower in the background, a scourge on work from home life. We will press on to Don Irvine. Don, I Ray might go out and join him. You know what? <laughs> I got nothing better to do today. <laughs> oh man, you're tempted over there. Uh, Don writes in, even with the signing of Marcus Semien and Corey Seager to big contracts, how many years will it take before the Rangers become true contenders? I think it's going to be at least two or three more years because you're right. You got two great players there. And that's if you're the Rangers, that's a good start. It's a good way to sell tickets in theory, but they're probably, you know, 12 to 15 players away from being a contender in the American League West. Reggie at Greenfield and Mind writes in while Seeger gets 10 years, it might be the smart play for Story and Correa to take shorter deals with higher annual value, say six years between 220, 240 million. That's a question from Reggie. Now, if I'm Carlos Correa, I'm definitely cashing in the biggest deal I could possibly get. Um, you know, from what I understand, there were a couple teams willing to offer him $10 million, but I think he was looking for a deal, you know, in the Francisco Lindor, Seager range. I, I don't think he got an offer to that. I'm curious to see if any team steps up. Um, Houston Astros maybe being the most motivated team in that uh, shortstop market at this point. And with Trevor Story, yeah, I, I could see him taking a six-year deal. The starting block at the starting block rates. And after the Giants signing of Cobb, it got me thinking, would you prefer one Scherzer for $40 million a year or four $10 million pitchers who may perform half as well as Max but give you three times the innings? I think it depends on your market size. You know, if I'm the New York Yankees and I can afford a, you know, $43 million contract or from the Mets or from the Dodgers, then I want the guy with the highest impact. If I'm a small market team, I want the four $10 million pitchers who are going to give you some innings. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in, is it great for the sport that Franco will be in small market Tampa Bay long-term, one for the little guys, or would it have been better with him moving to a market that draws fans. I think maybe he just likes Tampa. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I think he likes the fact that they offered him almost $200 million. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I do, uh, you know, you sort of assume that uh, it could happen with him. What happened to Evan Longoria? Remember he signed that huge contract and the back end of the deal, it became unworkable for the race. So they dumped the contract. If you notice Wander Franco, while you know, everyone is saying how amazing he is and how what a great signing he is for Tampa Bay, he does not have no trade protection. So I think the safe bet would be that he's going to finish uh, that contract with another team. Someone's offering you $100 million or more. Always take the offer down? and then figure the rest out later. I saw some criticism. Or I've heard some criticism among you know, players about turning. I mean, if you're 22, 20 years old, how do you turn down $185 million? Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't. A lot of people saying they would, but I think they're liars. Let's go to Matt uh, at Kayaking Smith. Matt writes in, who is more likely to have a significant role in the final year of their contract in which of these are you most worried about? So he's going to, he's listed off four players here. So a 38 year old Corey Seager, a 39 year old Bryce Harper, a 35 year old Fernando Tatis Jr. Or a 39 year old Mike Trout. 
The guy that I'm most comfortable with is Trout because I think that he has command of the strike zone. Um, and I think that type of player translates. Um, Bryce Harper does as well, by the way. Uh, Corey Seager, not so much. The guy I'm most worried about is Tatis Jr. only because I don't know exactly what's going on in that shoulder. You know, Taylor, you and I have talked about it all year. Uh, you know, what's he going to be? The fact that he got re-injured, he didn't have surgery. We don't have enough information, but that uncertainty kind of scares me. Indeed. Let's go to Katie Casey at Tweeter Bleats. Katie writes in, Mr. Olmert and Reverend Schwink. I'm not really sure what the Olmert is. Uh, which team will take the biggest step forward next season? Tigers, Mariners, or Rangers? Will any of them win their division? Yeah. Um, Olmert is misspelled. My last name misspelled. Ah, there you go. Uh, so it's Mr. Olmy. Uh, right over look, my head. Mariners are the, the team that's going to jump forward. I, you know, Oakland clearly at some point when we restart, they'll wind up trading, uh, you know, guys they have when we get that free agent frenzy whenever there's a restart. Um, you know, Houston to me is going to be the favorite in the West, but the Mariners are clearly at this point, number two. Last one for today. Andrew Campbell at real camp drew writes in, Hey Buster, should the New York Yankees consider going back to be calling the New York Highlanders because of Hal and Cashman don't do something quick. This rabid fan base quite possibly might just run the team out of the town and up into the Hills. Buster, <laughs> can you talk the Yankees fans out of running Hal and Cashman up to the cat skills? Yeah. Um, and first off, they're not going to do something quick because we got a shutdown. It's going to be a while. Uh, I do think that some of the big market teams, I know this, the Red Sox, Dodgers, Yankees basically haven't done a lot this offseason. Part of their thinking is they want to know what the rules are going to be with the next CBA before they commit dollars. And, I you know, we've talked about the middle class and how they're going to get gouged in the back end of this. I think the the teams that have money to spend are going to do a lot of damage and they're going to add some, you know, some good players for less money. They may not, you know, the Yankees may not necessarily be the team that's going to sign Carlos Correa, but I do think they're going to get, you know, three, four, five B-level type players. I think that's what the Dodgers are going to do. I think that's what the Red Sox are going to do. All righty. That does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Thanks for sending in all of these, everyone. There were a ton more. We really appreciate it. Keep them coming. And uh, we'll do another loaded edition of Bleacher Tweets the next time we record, which kind of nebulous at this moment. Depends on if anything happens in the next week, essentially. Well, I've got some ideas. I think there's okay. a good chance we'll wind up doing a you know a podcast beginning of next week, but uh, we'll play that by ear. And, and uh, if we do one, we'll certainly uh, the the bleacher tweets are going to have a big part in that. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Jeff, Tim, Hembo, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.